Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for the program. Have you ever been subjected to dodgy theology? It's the kind of Bible teaching that superficially sounds credible but cannot stand up under intelligent scrutiny. It's not new. In fact, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament dealt with it when he addressed the Church of the Colossians. If you'd like to be alert to what dodgy theology looks like, stay tuned as tonight Dr Corbett explores the errant teachings that had crept into the Colossian Church. Holy Spirit, we invite you now to come and speak to us. This is so important, this time together where we concentrate on your word, where we open our hearts and our minds and our ears to what you have to say is perhaps the most critical time of our week. So Lord, I pray that we'll get it right. I pray, Lord, that you'll hide this preacher behind your word and that your word will go in to places where it needs to get I pray, Lord, that things will be said that we need to hear. Maybe we don't want to hear, but we need to hear. I pray, Father, that you would open up your word and help us to grasp what your word says so that we may better live for Christ. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is um, some questions that children were asked, and this is their answers. First question, name four seasons. Answer, this is on an exam actually. Answer, salt, pepper, mustard and vinegar. Explain one of the processes by which water can be made safe to drink. Answer, one student gave the answer on their exam. Flirtation makes, that's, I think that's supposed to be filtration. Flirta flirtation is something quite different, just... Flirtation makes water safe to drink because it removes large pollutants like grit, sand, dead sheep and canoeists. <laughs> Don't you hate it? You turn the tap and out comes a dead canoeist. As, uh, um, how can you delay milk turning sour? What causes the tides in the ocean? The tides are a fight between the earth and the moon. All water tends to flow toward the moon because there is no water on the moon and nature hates a vacuum. I forget where the sun joins in this fight. Gee, all right. What are steroids? Answer, things for keeping carpets on the stairs. <laughs> what happens to your body as you age? When you get old... So do your bowels, and you get intercontinental. <laughs> All right, please turn to the epistle to the Colossians. Colossians, it's the small, one of the smallest uh, letters to the churches. So you'll find that the New Testament is arranged the Gospels, the record of the Acts of the Apostles, and then it goes, church epistles in order of size, largest down to smallest. So you'll find in that collection of epistles to churches that Colossians is sort of toward the end of that list. And then after the epistles to churches, there are the epistles to individuals. And Colossians, we, I just want to give you some, some background to this uh, church at Coloss or Colossae, 
depending on how you, you uh, take the original language. This, this used to be a city. Colossae used to be a city. It's in um, eastern, uh, what we would call eastern Turkey. It, it is uh, right near two other cities that are referred to in Scripture, one called Laodicea and one called Heriopolis. And Colossae was a major city until they diverted the highway and it was reduced to being a town. This is considered to be the the least important epistle that Paul wrote to a church. Paul had never been to Coloss and this church more than likely uh, was started by a man by the name of Epaphras. Now he's referred to only in Colossians and he is mentioned twice as being the minister to the church, which is an interesting expression, and we'll, we'll look at that in a moment. It's likely that Epaphras was one of the people that's recorded in the Acts of the Apostles where it says, and Paul ministered in Ephesus for 18 months. And it says, when he ministered in Ephesus for 18 months, all of Asia, and you've got to understand Asia is what we would call Asia Minor today, It's um, that region of Turkey, essentially. It says, all of Asia heard the gospel. Now, that's an outstanding effort. If you think today, I've been here nearly 15 years, uh, and I would say there's probably still people that have never heard the gospel in our valley. And here we have a region, hundreds of square miles, where there was no radio, no internet, no digital communication. And Paul the Apostle, just through sheer grit and determination, was able to preach the gospel, it says, so that all of Asia heard it. Now that's an important point, because there were probably two people that were touched from Paul's ministry in Ephesus. One was this Gentile, Epaphras. The other one was a slave who had run away from Colos, had probably tried to take refuge in Ephesus. And his name, Onesimus, Onesimus, Onesimus. And this runaway slave would have heard the gospel in Ephesus as well, been converted to Christ and spent time with Paul and probably at some stage said to Paul, I need to talk to you. And Paul said, sure. And he said, I have a problem. What's the problem? I'm a runaway slave. I ran away from my master. I've come to Christ and I feel that I've done the wrong thing. And so when Paul wrote to the Colossians, he also wrote to someone specifically in the Colossian church. That person's name is Philemon. And Philemon is one of the smallest letters in the New Testament. It's a very short letter. And interestingly, Paul knows Philemon. And Paul makes some very personal appeals to Philemon. So Philemon was probably some kind of businessman who was well known throughout that region. But Paul the Apostle had never been to Colossus. He says in this epistle, you've never seen my face. We've never met. But Paul says... In this epistle, we'll read that he had a heart for them. 
And that heart translated into Paul the Apostle praying, but not just praying. He says in Colossians 2, the first couple of verses, I want you to know the intense struggle I have had for you in prayer. Now, some of us may have never experienced what it is to struggle in prayer, desperate prayer. And here's an, an interesting thought. God wants to form the character of Christ in us right now so that when life gets particularly tough and all hell is being unleashed against you, and as we heard in the prophetic word this morning, sometimes we can feel pressure from every side. God wants to make sure that we've got character built into our life that will get us through those times of trial. If you want to be someone who knows how to pray to move heaven, then you better start now. Don't wait for the disaster to come. Don't wait for the intense trial to come. Be a person of character now, and especially deep spiritual character. We sang the song, and I love the profoundness of, this, of the song we sang, Desert Song. Great songs this morning. It says something like this, in times of harvest, I worship you. But in those times when it feels like I'm in the desert, I'll worship you as well. That's good. That's really good. And I hope we as a church get that. I hope we get that Christianity is not us sort of rubbing the bottle of the Bible to get God, the genie, to give us what we want. In fact, this was one of the heresies that had infiltrated the Colossian church, that they could, through their actions, manipulate God to get what they wanted. Now, an interesting thing's happening here, and I think it's probably appropriate just to read the first three words or so of the opening verse, and, and I make comment about this, and I hope you can see what I'm trying to get at here. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ. Well, it might be more appropriate to say an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, this is an interesting... There's, there's several interesting things about the way Paul introduces himself here. Firstly, Paul's never been to Colossus. In, in what sense was he their apostle? Because an apostle, Paul says, is not just a teacher. It's not just someone who has authority. Paul says an apostle is like a father. And, and Paul says you, you have 10,000 teachers in Christ, but not many fathers. And, and he says that his heart toward the churches was one that was like a father. So in what sense was Paul the father of this church when he'd never even been there? Now, I, I, we'll come to that in a moment. It's an interesting thought. Because some people say that an apostle is a church planter. That's what they say, and they say that ministry of a, that apostolic ministry is carried on today through church planting. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that for a couple of reasons. Firstly, there were people who were designated apostles in the New Testament and they never planted a church. James, the, the half-brother of Jesus, is called one of the leading apostles and he never left Jerusalem, never planted a church. So an apostle is not necessarily a church planter. Here's the other point. We're going to read down in uh, verse 7, 
that Epaphras was the pioneer of this church. Epaphras was the church planter. So why isn't this an epistle from Epaphras to the church at Coloss? What, what gives Paul the right to speak to these people? What gives Paul the right when he's never even been to the church to, to, to kind of send a letter to them and tell them this is the way it should be? What gives Paul that right? It's found in the next half of this first verse. This is what he says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Why? By the will of God. By the will of God. Now, what was the will of God for Paul's apostleship? What do we know about what God willed for Paul? We know that when Paul was struck off his horse on the road to Damascus, Christ spoke to him. And Christ, I don't think in that exchange, used the word apostle, but he did use apostolic language, and it goes like this. I will send you, and that's essentially what an apostle is, I will send you with authority. And in that passage, Christ is saying to Paul the apostle, Paul who would become the apostle, I'm going to send you to Gentiles, I'm going to send you to kings and governors, and you're going to bear witness to me before them, and it will cost you your life, and you will suffer greatly. That was the will of God for Paul. You'll stand before kings and governors, you'll go to Gentiles, you'll suffer much. Wow. Is it the will of God that anyone should suffer? was for Paul. <laughs> That's what Christ said. <laughs> Awaited him. So the next time you hear some preacher say it's not God's will for you to suffer, kind of look at them and say, bless your heart. Um, because sometimes God's ways involve suffering and hardship. And Paul the Apostle, you could disagree with that, but Paul the Apostle was someone who suffered hardship, and he referred to it. What gives Paul the right to speak to these people? He'd suffered. In essence, he'd suffered for them. If you read what happened to him in Ephesus, it was not a happy camp of time. There were people beaten. Paul was given heaps of persecution there, but he, but he stayed there. Now, this is, this is one of the traits, one of the primary traits of being an apostle. Are there apostles today? I... I need to qualify the answer to that because I think there are people who function in the apostolic ministry, but they're not the same as these guys. These guys were unique. Now, what's one of the traits of an apostle? It's someone who endures, who hangs in there. Did Paul the Apostle ever get criticised? Totally, all the time. Did he, did he get more than criticism? Did he get persecution? Yeah, at one point you know, he was dragged out and stoned. What does he do? When he came to, he brushed himself off, he went to the next town and he preached again. He kept going. And today, I think we need an apostolic spirit. We may not be apostles, but we definitely need an apostolic spirit. Amen? Amen. Now, thank you. I'm going to preach to the rest of the church now. Do, <laughs> do, we need an apostolic spirit. Amen. Thank you. We do. We need a grit and determination. There are so many people who get criticised. You know, you, you, you have a go, you do something, someone says something to you, maybe even well-meaning, and we go home, crawl up in the corner, get blanky, and kind of rock back and forward. This is not apostolic Christianity. To, to be so frail, 
Apostolic Christianity is grit, it's determination, it's going it, to, no matter what, it's going to keep going. Now, Paul the Apostle is writing to these guys. Why? Because Epaphras has come to Paul. Epaphras has been bombarded with these false teachers and he, he's gone, oh no, how do I deal with this? So he's got on his horse or got on his sandals or done something and he's gone to Paul, who was pretty easy to find because he was in a jail when he wrote this. He was suffering when he wrote this. He'd already been imprisoned when he, wrote, when he was writing this. And he goes to this prison and he says, Paul, this is what's happening. I don't know what to do. And this is what Epaphras probably would have told him. He says, Paul, I was there in Ephesus. I went to the hall of Tyrannus where you were preaching every day. I heard you. I, I accepted it. I got it. I took this message back to my, my town of Colossus. I preached with some of my, to some of my friends. They got it. They came to Christ. They started sharing. The next thing, Paul, we had people meeting in Jesus' name all around Colossus in all these homes meeting. And I, I would get the, the leaders together and we would be all the time just sharing with each other and opening up God's word and they'd go back and share it with their people. But we grew so fast, Paul, that what happened was these, these teachers from out of town came in and they started teaching some stuff that I didn't even know that they were teaching, but before I could do anything about it, some of the home groups had already just totally adopted it. And, and now they're saying to me, well, who do you think you are, Epaphras, telling us what to do and what's right and what's wrong? We're all brothers, you know. We're all equal. We're no one's better than anyone else in this outfit. And Epaphras has run to Paul and said, Help, what do I do? And Paul says, Tychius, take a letter. And he dictates to this guy, Tychius. I'm going to set this straight, Epaphras. Sit down and listen to this. And we have Colossians. Now, what were some of the heresies these guys were introducing into the church? Firstly, they were teaching a different type of Christianity. They weren't teaching another religion. It was a different type of Christianity. What, does it, what do you call it when you introduce something else into Christianity that's quite different and you merge them? It's called syncretism. And it's one of the problems that Christianity has been battling with down through the centuries, that people hear enough of Christianity, but then they add other bits to it. And before you know it, it's no longer Christianity. It's something else. It's Christianity plus something else. That's called syncretism. What were these guys teaching? They were teaching this. Yes, it's faith in Christ, plus keep the law of Moses. Yes, it's faith in Christ, but you've got to understand that your body is inherently evil. Therefore, you must punish your evil body. That's called asceticism. Then there was this other group that came along and said, yes, it's Jesus, but it's mystical experiences. You must see angels. You must have visions. You must get new revelations from God all the time. That's called mysticism. It's a problem. So Paul addresses these three areas. You could sum up mysticism and asceticism under one banner called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is there's something 
It's a secret knowledge. And this secret knowledge is what you really need to be a Christian. Gnosticism. So Paul addresses these issues. And we're going to have a look at the first nine verses. So as we do this, I want you to see something and understanding the context you're going to see the, the same pattern that Paul has in his epistles, so that when you read any epistle, you'll see this pattern. This is the pattern. Paul presents a foundational argument, an argument in the sense of reasons. He gives a foundational reasons. Then what he does is he has this huge, great, big, gargantuan therefore. And the last half or the last portion of any of his epistles comes after this word therefore. And this is what we're going to see. Because what, you know, having just shared with you what the, the main heresies were attacking the church at Colossae, Paul says to Epaphras, none of those are the real deal. Now I can imagine Epaphras going, no, Paul, they're the real deal. I just told you that, that that's what's going on. No, Epaphras, this is what's going on. These teachers don't know Jesus Christ. And Epaphras says, no, they used the name Jesus Christ all the time. They talk like they know him. They even claim to have conversations with him. And Paul the Apostle could go, no, that's rubbish. These people don't know Jesus. One commentator put it this way, they gave Jesus a place in their religious thinking. But Jesus doesn't want a place in your religious thinking. Jesus wants the place. And Paul said, this is the problem. These people don't know who Jesus is. Jesus isn't just one of the many things you need for salvation. Jesus is the only thing you need for salvation. And so Paul is going to say to these teachers, Gnostics, the word gnosis is the word knowledge, even sounds like knowledge. He's going to say this as we read in Colossians 2, Jesus Christ is all knowledge. Wow. These teachers were going to say, you can so put your flesh to death that you become God. Wow. Paul the Apostle is going to say, Jesus Christ, God, is already in you. By virtue of nothing you've done, but by virtue of his grace. Paul is going to say, and this is, I think, a profound point that we're going to see, particularly in these first nine verses. If you get converted to Christ... Your mind needs to catch up. You realise that? Now, this was illustrated on Friday when Tim Costello said that he thought the whole world's problems could be solved if everybody just became a Christian. And what he discovered was in the 1970s when he was the Christian uh, student group leader at Monash University, they had a visiting evangelist from South Africa come over. And he preached at Monash University and he said this, this is in the 1970s in South Africa. The people who are leading the apartheid movement where they teach that God has two heavens, one for white people and one for everyone else. Those people who teach that black people are less than human are Bible-believing, evangelical, church-going Christians. And Tim Costello said it was like a bomb went off when he heard that. Because he realised you can be born again and be stupid. When you are born again, your brain, your mind rather, needs to catch up. 
And the way that happens, as we're going to see in these first nine verses, is you need to learn. You need to be taught. That process of being taught and having it affect the way you live is called sanctification. So let's read verse 1. We haven't quite finished verse 1 yet. It goes on, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. This is an interesting way to refer to Jesus, by the way, because when Paul initially was a Christian, he referred to Jesus as Jesus. As he got to know Jesus more, he began to refer to him as Christ Jesus. Stop referring to him as Jesus Christ. He referred to him as Christ, the title, the Messiah, Christ Jesus. What we're going to see is that the, the um, few epistles that he wrote after this, about three epistles that he wrote after this, he doesn't call Jesus Christ Jesus. He refers to him as Lord Jesus Christ. You can see what's happening in Paul's grasp of who he's talking about here. And what he's going to do in this epistle is try to show the people at Coloss that church, that life, that government, that sex, family, religion is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He wants to fill all in all. Jesus. Paul's going to show this. So, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Why was Paul able to say this? Because it was the will of God. God had called Paul to oversee this region of Turkey. If you've got a, a Bible map in the, the back of your Bible, you'll notice that the seven churches of Asia, Ephesus, Smyrna, uh, Sardis, Pergamum, Thyatira, uh, Philadelphia and Laodicea, if you have a look at Revelation chapter 2 and 3, you'll notice that the writer to the, those seven churches lists them in the order that you would travel to them in a trade route. And that region there, Laodicea, is just 10 kilometres from Coloss. So it's a part of that region there. And Paul was given oversight as an apostle over that region. And Timothy, our brother. Now this is interesting. I think there's a bit of language happening here. Paul is referring to Timothy as our brother. And I think you can see that the accusation against Epaphras was, who do you think you are? We're all brothers. We're all equal in this, you know. You're no better than me. You're no better than anyone else. And Paul's going, we'll see about that. And this is what he says, verse 2. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Saints and faithful brothers. It's the same thing. In fact, we're going to see this word and in the epistle to the Colossians really many times, not all the time, but many times means this, which is. Saints, which is or which are faithful brothers. It's an interesting thing. I, I heard uh, yesterday on the radio that they're considering making Mary MacKillop a saint. Now, I, 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 uh, Dr. John Egan gave me a book on, on the Catholic process of saint making and I still don't get it. Because I read this and I go, but if you're born again and you belong to Jesus, you're already a saint. Thank you, St. Michael. <laughs> I, at one point, you know, when we were considering what do we rename this church to, I thought, well, St. Andrew's has got a nice ring to it. It's like, 
biblical. And anyway, it didn't go down well. Someone said we should rename it Free Beer. That would draw the crowds in. <sighs> anyway, but we're all saints. What's a saint? Someone who has been taken out of darkness and put into light. Someone who's been taken from death, put into life. Someone who's gone from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. If you're there, you're a saint. So next, be careful about your language. You know, I hear some people, some Christians talk like this, well, I'm no saint, but. Well, then you're no Christian, but. Paul's writing to all the people in the church and he calls them saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. I want you to notice the Trinitarian aspect of what Paul is about to say here. I've got it highlighted in blue. We've got Christ, we've got Father, and in a moment we're going to have the Spirit. We'll see that in a moment. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now, this, this is, again, we, we kind of glibly read that and think, well, that's, Paul says that to everyone. It's kind of just like the thoughtless introduction. I've got to do an introduction. Uh, we'll just grace and peace. Now let's get on with it. No, it, I don't think it is, especially in this instance, because there were these teachers that were saying, you've got to do this to be made right with God. And if you want, here's the key word, peace with God, you've got to do this. And even today we hear it very subtly. We hear Christians, some Christians teach that Christianity is a matter of faith in Christ plus this, this, this and this. And I shudder when I hear people say, I made a decision to follow Christ. I mean, eh, that didn't make you a Christian. It wasn't your decision that made you a Christian. It was Christ who made you a Christian. And I don't think it's a small matter. All right, verse 3. We always thank God. The Father, there's that, here comes the Trinitarian expression again, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You had these teachers who were saying Jesus Christ could not have come in the flesh because flesh is evil and God would never take on evil, sinful flesh. And immediately Paul is introducing them to the real Jesus. The real Jesus. When we pray for you, this is what it says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, right, faith, so not your works, not your obedience to a set of things, but your faith in Christ, right, immediately establishing what the gospel's all about, faith in Christ. Now look at this, you'll notice, if you do a bit of a study on this, that when you have faith in Christ, it results immediately in one thing, love. Love. If you are a true Christian, you are someone who lives in love. Love, and this is what it says. Paul says, and of the love that you have for all saints. Verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth. The word of truth. What's the word of truth? The gospel. The gospel. Now notice this, Paul is saying we have one God. Who is this God? He is the Father of Jesus Christ. One God, not multiple options here. Now look what he says about how you're saved. You're saved because you received the word of truth. In a moment, he's, going to call, he's actually going to call the gospel the grace of God. But here he's calling it the word of truth, the gospel. Now notice what he says about the gospel. How far had the gospel penetrated? This is what he said. This is an amazing statement. Verse 6. Which has come to you as indeed 
in the whole world. Who'd heard the gospel? According to Paul, everybody. Everybody had heard the gospel. Now, I know that there are people who think, oh, that's just exaggerating. That's just an exaggeration. No, I actually think that is quite literally true. Everybody in the known world had heard the gospel. It's interesting that word world is not cosmos. It's the word oikumene, which means known world. That's an outstanding achievement. And look at what it says. When the gospel gets into someone's heart, this is what results. It is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood what he, key words, the grace of God in truth. Verse 7. Notice this. I've got the word learned highlighted. This is what it says. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. You see, just when you receive Christ, you need to learn. What is a good church? A good church is a teaching church. A good church is where you come and you learn. Paul is commending this in Epaphras. He taught you. Now notice what he says about Epaphras. He is our faithful, beloved servant. Why? Because he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Now, right there, that should blow out of the water those who say pastors, leaders of churches are unbiblical. God doesn't appoint a leader of a church. We're all equal. We're all leaders. We all get a say in this. Well, what do you do with that? Here's Paul saying to these people at Colossae, who many of whom were now undermining Epaphras, and he's saying to them, he's your minister. He's the one who's been appointed by God to teach you so that you may learn. He's the one, and we read on that Epaphras did two things, taught the word and prayed, and that's the role, primary role of any minister. And here he is, Paul the Apostle, the outside authority, speaking to the pastor, through the pastor, to the church. I, 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 that's important. That's really important. We all need to be under authority. And Epaphras was submitted to Paul the Apostle as the church was submitted to Epaphras, I presume. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to you your love in the Spirit. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Okay. What do we get just from these first eight verses or so? Hopefully we get this. That the gospel is the gospel of grace and truth. It's the message of Jesus Christ. And the theme throughout this epistle is this. Us in him. Him in us. Or us in him in us. We are to have Christ in us as we are in Christ. What does that look like? It looks like when you leave here today, you don't leave Christ here. He goes with you. When you go home and you have the conversation with your wife, conversation with your husband, you bring Christ into it. It looks like you bring Christ into your parenting. 
it should look like every father represented in this church is a pastor to his wife and his children. Talk with them. Pray for them. Share scripture with them. That's what a pastor does. Every father is a pastor. The church is called a household and Epaphras is alluded to as being the father of it. What do we see in these first eight verses? Paul's passion for truth. Paul's passion that Jesus Christ is the truth. You don't need to add to Jesus. All you need is Jesus. You just need Jesus. This is so important. Church, what, what are we to, to get from this? I, I hope that we can appreciate that when someone comes along and says, you need to speak in tongues to be saved, we can go, no, I just need Jesus to be saved. Someone who says, well, you need to be water baptised to be saved. No, I just need Jesus to be saved. Someone who comes along and says, well, you must go to church to be saved. As much as I'd like to teach that, I can't because the Bible doesn't say that. Why do we come to church? Because we want to grow. Why do we come to church? Paul says Epaphras was there to help them to learn. You need to learn. You, you get saved and your mind needs to catch up. There's something to learn about following Christ. And here Paul is going to finish off this epistle and he's going to talk about being able to stand before Christ and receive our full reward. You could be on your deathbed right now. You could have 15 seconds to live and we could lead you to Christ. According to these teachers, that's not possible because you haven't fasted enough, punished your body enough, done enough of the law. But the beauty of grace is that you've, if you've only got 15 seconds of life left in your body, any one of us could lead someone to Christ in 15 seconds. It goes like this. Tell God you're sorry and ask him to save you. Quick. That's it. You can elaborate on that if you like, but that's the bottom line. Jesus Christ died for you. Do you believe that? Yes, I do. Quick, you've got 14 seconds. Ask God to forgive you of your sins and ask him to come into your life and transform you and fill you with his spirit. Just pray it. Bang, saved. And that person from their deathbed, will go into paradise and be with God for eternity. Fantastic. Praise God. But you know, the person who gives their life to Christ thoughtfully, turns their whole life, including their mind, over to Christ and allows Christ to teach them his ways, is going to go to paradise and receive a much better reward than the person who did it on their deathbed. Because the person who did it on their deathbed is going to take their character that they've allowed Christ to form in their life and take that character into eternity. And that's it. I want, as pastor of this church, us to form the kind of character that we can live with for eternity. <sighs> Father, help us to know Jesus. Dodgy theology distorted the thinking of the Colossian church and distracted them from the truth of who Jesus was. A valuable insight and a timely warning for Christians in the church today. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Colossians Part 1, are available from Lagana Media. You can contact us at P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277, or via the website, findingtruthmatters.org. 
If you'd like to subscribe to the monthly e-newsletter Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to having you join us at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.